Hi, and welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, a ministry for young adults in the Fort Worth area. We are going through our series, To Wander and Return, a study in the Minor Prophets. And this week, we'll be going through the book of Micah. Enjoy. I'm uh, excited about tonight. I'm always excited about uh, tonight on Wednesday night because um, what happens on Wednesday night, I believe, uh, I totally believe that this is not about me or music or my sermon or the food. Uh, man, what, I ha- what happens, I believe, on Wednesday nights in this room is a bunch of people looking at their father who is good and acknowledging how he's good, regardless of what our worldly dads look like, regardless of what the circumstances in our life look like. And, uh, and that is what's powerful, and that's what uh, this is about. And so tonight, we are going to open up our Father's Word, our good, good Father's Word, and we are going to be uh, in the book of Micah. <clears throat> Uh, so we're going through this series, if you guys are fresh with us uh, and haven't been around for a little bit, we're going through the series on the Minor Prophets. Um, Micah, by the way, on my Bible is 778, so maybe in that ballpark for you, I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we're going through the series on the Minor Prophets, and the Minor Prophets are these 12 books at the end of the Old Testament, uh, the last 12 books in the Old Testament, and, uh, and Micah is what, we're, what I'm going to try to cover tonight. And uh, the reality is I'm not going to be able to cover all of it. Our hope is that you guys are spending time in these books, man. They're, they're heavy and weighty, and uh, there's God's judgment, and there's repentance, and there's all kinds of cool and heavy and crazy stuff uh, in these minor prophets. But I th- believe it's good, and I believe it points us to Jesus. And so this series is called uh, How to Wander and Return, um, or To Wander and Return. And it's this idea that uh, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout our lives— we wander away from a God who is good. We wander away from a good, good father. And God graciously calls us to return and calls us to walk back to him. And, and Micah is no different. Uh, Micah is going to be a book about wandering and God's people, specifically Israel, specifically the southern part, the southern kingdom uh, in Israel, which is in Judah. Really, these people who have wandered away from what God has for them and wandered outside of God's will and the judgment that's going to come and the way God is going to rebuke them in some ways and the way that they're going to return. And so what I'm going to do tonight, tonight's going to be pretty different. Uh, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to unpack this book. Uh, it's going to be kind of short and sweet tonight uh, from, from my standpoint. I'm going to unpack this book, uh, kind of give us a broad, real broad overview, flyby. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not going to have time to get in. And then I'm going to zoom in on one pretty popular verse, but really unpack what that verse looks like in the genuine context of what's happening. And then we're going to apply it, what that looks like uh, in our lives. And then I'm going to leave a big chunk of time at the end for us, uh, at the end of my sermon, for us to just stop and be still uh, and listen to God and talk to God, because here's uh, where we're going. One of the things that Micah, I think, does really well, maybe, maybe better than any of the other minor prophets, is he really does a good job of unpacking and laying out for us what God's will is. And I think understanding and figuring out God's will is one of the primary questions that I get asked in my role. 
Man, people come up to me saying like, man, I really want to figure out what is God's will for my life. Whether that is the big picture, right? Whether that's somebody trying to figure out their career, whether that is somebody trying to figure out who they're supposed to marry, whether that's somebody trying to figure out where they're supposed to move, what their life is supposed to look like. All of those things uh, tie into this idea that God has a will, right? God's desire. What does he want for me? And what happened with Israel is they wandered outside of what God wanted. They wandered away from God, what God wanted. Micah calls them back, and then he's going to explain to them, this is God's will. And so I love the idea of, I love how well uh, God answers this question of, this is my will, and how relevant it is for us. So anybody in here that's like, yeah, yeah, I kind of want to know God's will for my life. I kind of want to know what that looks like. We're going to answer that question uh, tonight. And then I'm going to give you guys plenty of time uh, before worship starts back up to, to spend some time really thinking and praying and talking to the Lord about, Lord, what, is that, what does that look like for me? So <clears throat> here we go. You ready? Micah. Uh, Micah is seven chapters long. Uh, the context of what's happening is this. The country, like I said, these guys are out of bounds. They are abusing um, the law that God has given them. They've got religious leaders in the, in the country that are telling people, if you pay me enough money, then I will tell you that your sins are forgiven, right? So you got all kinds of corruption with people claiming to be the, the mouthpiece and the, the voice of God and claiming to be prophets. And they're actually abusing that prophetic gift and they're actually, they don't have it. They're just frauds and they're, they're stealing money from people. You've got the poor in this country being completely abused by the wealthy uh, in, the, in the southern kingdom. And it's just bad. And they have ignored God and they've walked away from God. Uh, and what's going to happen is in 722, the, 722 BC, the Assyrian army is going to come and they are going to take over the northern kingdom. And then on their way out, they're going to sweep through Jerusalem and they're going to wreak havoc in Jerusalem and haul a bunch of slaves back to Assyria. And so Micah, in the first third of this book, in the first two chapters, is saying, hey, there is wrath coming. Because of your disobedience, there is wrath coming. And then he'll end chapter two with this little, this little section on hope. And then in chapters three through three and four, kind of the middle section of the book, he's gonna say, hey, again, you're wandering, you're wandering. Guess what else is going to happen? When the Assyrians are done coming through, a, a, a couple hundred years later, then the Babylonians are gonna come through. And the Babylonians come through in 586. And Micah prophesizes, he nails it. And he says, the Babylonians are gonna come through and they're going to sweep through the southern kingdom. Anyone who hasn't been taken away, any part of this promised land that hasn't been wiped out yet, because of your disobedience, because of your wandering, because of how far outside of God's will you are, the Babylonians are gonna then come and finish off the job that the Assyrians never did 150 years later, and they're going to take you into captivity. Everyone that's left, they're gonna take you into captivity, and that's what happens, that's what's going to happen. And then there's chapter six, and chapter six becomes this hinge between the wrath that God has and then the how to restore, how to wander, how to come back into God's will, and then an ultimate hope and an ultimate Jerusalem. And one day, not only will you be released from Babylon, and one day you will venture back into the land, Micah talks about, but also there will be, from the line of David, a new king will be born, and he will be the savior, and he will be born in Bethlehem. And Micah nails it. He just nails it, because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? So he prophesies Jesus' birth, he prophesies the Assyrian invasion, he prophesies the Babylonian invasion, and all throughout he is telling them, here's what doing the will of God looks like in order to come back. And so that's kind of the really, really fly-by 30,000-foot level of what's happening in this book. There's hope, 
Man, one day you will not only be released, but one day there will be a new king in a new Jerusalem. And that king, there will, the savior will be born in the line of David and he will be born in Bethlehem and he will establish a new kingdom. But there is wrath coming for you because of the way you're living. Stop, return, stop wandering and return. And so what I wanna do is I wanna zoom in to chapter six. Uh, there's a key verse and, and this verse is, um, I'm gonna read a couple before it, but the verse I'm gonna land on and kind of spend um, the majority of my little talk tonight talking about is, um, is verse six, eight. Um, and before I get there, I'm gonna give you some more context of the few verses before it. But um, Micah six, eight is a relatively popular verse. Some people know it and some people love to quote it, but I really want you to see the context of what happens in Micah six, eight, because I think it can be really dangerous. Uh, you know, we, all the time you'll see Christians grab a verse and slap it on a coffee cup and it's just so out of context. And we just love to take verses that sound really cool and, and put them on t-shirts and Instagram them and, and, and yet we don't understand the context of that. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most popular verses that people do that with. This idea for, for the Lord knows the plans he has for us. He declares their plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And that's an awesome verse. And it's like, yeah. God wants me to be healthy and have a great life and a great job. And it's in the middle of a book of Jeremiah, all about God wiping out a people who are walking in disobedience. And so we love to take things out of context. So I want you to see what's happening in Micah before we just grab this verse and say, yes, get a tattoo. <laughs> I'm going to start with verse six. I'm just going to start a couple, of, a couple of verses before and just see the argument he's making here. <clears throat> with what, so here the people have wandered, right? Israel has wandered. Here's the question. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? How do I return from my wandering? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, right? Is that what God's will is gonna look like? Do I need to do those things? Verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So here's what's happening. We have a people who have wandered, right? We have people who have lived disobediently. They get to the place where he says, there is wrath coming. There's wrath coming. There's wrath coming. Chapter six. Okay, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Man, we give all of our rams. We give our firstborn. What do we, we, what do we need to do to return to God? And then verse eight of chapter six, Micah lays out, here is God's will. This is God's will. This is his plan for how you return from your wandering. This is what the Lord wants. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? And listen to these three things. But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. <clears throat> to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Man, do I need to sell all of my rams and have this massive sacrifice? Do I need to give my firstborn child? No, you need to do justice. You need to love kindness and you need to walk humbly with your God. He says this, God has told you, this is his will. This is what he wants from you. The people of Israel knew what this meant. They knew what this looked like. They knew what this was supposed to look like. We, we so often lean towards, I have to do these things, right? I have to make these sacrifices. Even Psalm 51, David acknowledges, man, my sacrifices are worthless before you, God. You want a broken and contrite spirit. That's what you want. 
Here, it lines up too. You want a humble walking with you. You want me to do justice. You want me to love kindly. We so often are looking for God's will. Man, what's God's will? What, who does he want me to hang out with? Who, where does he want me to go after renovate? What does he want me to take in school? How, what job should I get? What, we ask these questions and yet God lays out, and I think we become paralyzed because we fall into this trap of believing that God's will is this razor blade we've got to stay on. This razor blade of decision that I want to make sure I make the right decision. And he says, man, are you even walking in obedience? Are you being obedient in these huge areas that I've given you in your life? God's will is not based on your feelings. God's will is based on your obedience. And I think somewhere along the way, we lose sight of that. Somewhere along the way, we think following God and what it looks like to return from wandering, to get back in God's presence, to be back in the will of God, what he wants, what this good, good father wants for us, that we're doing what our father wants is this feelings driven thing. Well, how, how do I feel, feel my way back to it? When he says, just be obedient and God uses our feelings and God guides that, but also that's, that shouldn't be what steers the ship of how we determine God's will in our life. It is not about your feelings. It is about your obedience. So we start with our obedience so what I want to do is I want to take just maybe 10 more minutes to just unpack these three things. And then I want to stop tonight. I want to stop and I want to pray before we go back into worship and allow you to sit and say, Lord, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for me to do these three things? So let's look at them. The first is do justice, right? We are called in God's will to do justice. What's that mean? One of my favorite pictures of, uh, of just obedience and what the call and the creation of man was meant to do when it was walking with the Lord is what happens in Genesis. When God creates Adam and then he gives Adam a task. This is before the fall, before sin entered into the world and he gives Adam a task. And if you remember what that task is, if you've heard this story, it's name the animals. And one of the cool things that happens is God gives Adam this really important task to name the animals. And if you think about creation, what I can't wrap my brain around what creation would have been like or how that worked or how God did what he did in creating. Um, but here Adam was naming things. Here Adam was looking at beautiful but chaos and him finding order in chaos, him speaking order into chaos. You are a crocodile, you are a zebra, you guys separate, you are a giraffe, you are a tree, you are poison ivy, right? He named things. Stay out of this, right? Climb that, ride the giraffe, right? That was what his life was. He named, he spoke order into chaos. And I love that picture. God's design for us, for you, if you're in this room and if you're a follower of Christ and if you're in this room and you desire to be a follower of Christ and if you're in this room and maybe you have wandered and maybe you're like, man, how do I wander back to God? One of these facets is to do justice, which I love articulating like speaking order into chaos because you, this is not lost on you. We live in a chaotic world. We live in a world with upside down justice. We live in a world where things are backwards. We live in a world where there is brokenness all over the place. And we live in a world where there is brokenness that's celebrated all over the place. And to be a follower of God and to be in the will of God means we need to look at injustices, things that are wrong, things that shouldn't be, and speak order into those and speak truth into lies. 
and to do justice and to step into places. Real practically, there's so many different ways to do this. Um, you know, you've maybe heard the statistic thrown around that DFW is the second largest hub in America for sex trafficking. That's wrong. There's something wrong with that. That is injustice. That is not okay. If we're created in the image and glory of God, then we as believers to do God's will should not be okay with that. And to say, what can we do? How can we step into this? How can we be a voice for this? How can we be a part of saying no to this? Uh, in 2016, there were 54,507 abortions in Texas. This is not a political thing. Uh, this is based on my theology and belief uh, that life is intrinsically valuable and that life begins when God creates it in the womb. Um, and so the fact that there's f two years ago, 54,507 abortions, um, the life got taken out of, out of fear, out of convenience, out of pain, out of, out of really hard things. And we look at that and say, man, there's something wrong. There's something we can do. There's some way that there's injustice there that, man, our heart should break for that because we want our hearts to line with God's heart and line with God's will and say, this isn't, this isn't how God meant for this to be. This wasn't what he wanted it to look like. And so we do justice. If you, real practically, if you're thinking, okay, what does that look like? What are some ways that I could actually do that? And when you're given here in a minute some time to pray before the Lord, and you're thinking, okay, I want to do that. I want to give you an email. Kyle Yarbrough is a guy I'm going to give you his email for. His email is kyley at christchapelbc.org. Email that guy or just look him up on the website at Christ Chapel and say, hey, Kyle, what are places of injustice that I can step in and be a picture of justice. What are ways, just send him an email. He's going to get a hundred emails. They're like, hey, how can I do justice around Fort Worth, right? Just email him that. And he will overwhelm you with different opportunities to say, man, here's some areas over here and we need people here. And there's a ministry called The Net and there's a ministry called Valiant Hearts. And there's, I mean, there's numerous ministries throughout the city that are trying to step into where there is injustice. We want to be in God's will. You want to be in God's will. You're consumed with trying to figure out what class to take or what uh, degree plan to follow or what city to move to or what person to date or what. Let's take a breath and say, man, are we being obedient with what God has asked us to do? Are we, are we trying to find God's will based on our feelings or, or are we just say, what's God say our, his will is? And he says to do justice. We should be ambassadors for what God's will is. So would we do justice? Also next, love kindness. This is super important. And let me tell you one of the reasons that this is super important. Two years ago, there were 54,507 abortions in our state. Guys, that means there were 54,507 women who were really, really hurting. That's what that means. That's what that means. It means we don't just go to an abortion clinic and get angry at someone who's really, really hurting and really, really scared and really, really confused. We love them. We show them kindness. When we say we do justice, we don't do justice detached from the character of Jesus, which is our savior who picks a woman caught in adultery out of the dirt and dusts her off 
and tells her that he doesn't condemn her. He meets her in her humility and he encourages her. So when we love kindness, man, what does that look like to love people who are hurting? And, and I, I, I love how Micah writes this. He doesn't say, do justice, do kindness. He says, love kindness. And the difference between being kind and loving kindness, I would say the difference between those is the Holy Spirit indwelling someone. Because anybody can be kind to someone. And if you hear a sermon and it's just, hey, go be kind, any motivational talk can say, go be kind, don't be a bully, bullies are awful, you should be a kind person. They're right. But what the word of God says is love kindness. Love it, crave it, desire it. Be in love with the idea of kindness. Specifically, kindness being this idea of sharing with people who don't deserve it. Kindness being grace and mercy. And that we as people of Jesus, God's will says, how do you return from wandering? You've wandered, how do you return? You do justice and you love kindness. You love it. What does that look like? Not just in our culture. In our culture, yes. Make sure that as you're out there doing what is right, that it is so flavored with kindness because because that's how Jesus loves and we're not beating people up with truth and abusing people who are hurting and have had to make tough decisions that maybe you have never had to make before and, and showing people grace and helping people walk back from hard places that they wouldn't have thought they could have walked back from. That's what Jesus would do. Jesus wouldn't pick it. He would walk with someone. What's that look like in your life? Who are people in your life? Man, I want you to go before the Lord here in a few minutes and ask, Lord, what are those people in my life that I should love kindness? And the thing about love, the other thing that you just can't squirrel out of because he has this, he, he modifies this Hebrew word, kindness is modified with, you've got to love it, right? Is the difference between liking and loving, right? You don't have to like it. You got to love it. And what that means is, you're not just supposed to show kindness to people that are easy to show kindness to. That's easy. Who are people in your life that, that man, maybe that would be a stretch. Maybe that's going to take the Holy Spirit in your life to show them kindness. It's God's will for your life. It's God's will for your life that you love kindness. Man, I want, I want tonight so bad for God, if we're here in a second when we pray, I want God to just unload on us individually names of people, maybe ministries that we have a heart for, but also just names of people in your life that the Holy Spirit says, man, this person and this person and this person and the person that sits in that cubicle or the person that you pass in that hallway every day or that, that family member that's so hard but needs to be shown kindness. It is God's will for us to do that. It's part of how we return. And then the last thing is, uh, is walk humbly with your God. And I love that. And this is so important, right? This is so important that as we're doing what is right and as we're doing it with the posture that is right of kindness and this loving kindness, then we also do it 
with a humility, walking with God, not in our own flesh, but walking with God, that we don't do this in our own power. We don't do this in our own strength. We don't just muster up the strength to say, okay, I'm gonna do the will of God. I'm gonna do these three things in that sermon that talked about, but we say, I'm going to do it humbly walking with God, not in my own flesh, not just because I'm a disciplined person and I need to keep this list, but I'm gonna walk with God through this process. I'm going to humble myself in this process. Our sin says we are God, right? What this, how this plays out in my life it ties back to Adam, right? Adam, when he was done naming the animals and he's got this girl and then he ends up eating this fruit he shouldn't have eaten of this tree. What, what he was promised was gonna happen when he ate of the, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was he was promised that he was going to get to be like God. That's what Satan in the garden told him. You will be like God if you eat of this fruit. And so they ate of the fruit. And you know what happened? Sin entered the world and sin took the form of him Adam and Eve saying, we are like God. We are now like God. And all of a sudden, every one of my sins, everything I do that, that forces me to wander away, that, that lures me away from God, every way that I walk away, walk out of the will of God and wander from him, the root issue is that I am saying, I am God. I want to do it my way. I want to search for what I want. I want to be my own king. I don't want to submit to you. I want to be my own God. So whether it is lust, whether it is apathy, whether it is greed, whether it is selfishness, whether it is pride, whether it's the fear of man crippling me, whatever it is, is based in a root issue of, I don't care about God. I don't fear God. I just want what I want. I want gratification. I want my kingdom. I want my pride. I want my own worship to be made. And so our sin looks like us saying we are God. And so when we try to wrap our minds around what it looks like to do the will of God, what it looks like to return to God, we walk humbly with our God. We humble ourselves and we say, I am not God. I submit to you. I submit to you, God. You are the one who sets what is right and what is wrong. You are the one worth following. I want to do it your way. I want to be obedient to you because you are better than me, because your way is better than me, because I trust you more than I trust me or the world or any other lies that I believe because my faith is in you. And if you have never done that before, if you have tried to be religious, if you've tried to be kind and you have been kind and you have done good justice and you have done good deeds and you have talked about God and you have talked to God, but you have never humbled yourself and submitted your life to God, then it is no accident that you're here on April 3rd to hear God whisper to you, I want you tonight. And tonight I want you to humble yourself for the first time to say, follow me, stop trying to do this on your own. And for people in this room who are following God and have submitted their lives and we get to say, Lord, what are the ways that I've picked up my pride and I've picked up my own kingdom again and I'm building my own kingdom and what are the ways I need to re-humble my life to you? What's that look like? And here in just a second, I'm gonna give you time to pray and my, my hope is that you humble yourself. You know that you have a God who is personal, who says, I will walk with you as you are humble. So <clears throat> let me wrap this up to give us plenty of time to pray. 
What is God's will for our life? What is God's will for our life? What is God's will for your life? It is to do justice. It is to love kindness. It is to walk humbly with your God. So often we get paralyzed with all kinds of decisions, but we lose sight of being obedient to what he's ultimately asked us to. And so tonight, uh, the band's gonna come back up and they're gonna play a little bit over us. And then I'm gonna just lead us in a pastoral prayer time and give you time to sit and be still before God. And for some of you guys, that's gonna be really uncomfortable. And that's okay. And for some of you guys, you're gonna love it. And for four of you, you're gonna fall asleep. And that's okay too. <clears throat> but I want you to go before God humbly tonight. And I want you to ask him, these things. And I want you to engage with the Holy Spirit that if you're in Christ, he has given you to say, Lord, show me what these areas might look like in my life tonight. Show me what it looks like to do these things and reveal these things. And so I'm going to walk us through that. Uh, so the band will come back up and uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we start by... Um, thanking you for loving us, uh, thanking you for loving us enough to give us 12 books, to give us 66 books really, but specifically tonight as we look at these minor prophets, Lord, these 12 books that just call us to return to you. And Lord, there are absolutely in every one of our lives ways that we need to return to you, um, ways that we have wandered. Uh, some of my brothers and sisters in this room have wandered far and they're in the weeds. And tonight, my prayer and my hope and belief is that their posture is saying, Lord, we want to come home. How do we return? So Lord, show us what just some of these areas of obedience look like in our life. And we could start there. We could start with just our obedience to you. Do what only you can do, Father reveal to us. So now for you guys in this room, I want to encourage you, spend a, a minute or two asking the Lord to reveal to you what doing justice looks like, revealing to you and stirring your heart and stirring your affections that where you see injustice, when you look at who Jesus is, who our God is, whether it's a couple of the cultural issues that we brought up, or so many other issues in our world and brokenness and the nuances of our day-to-day -day life that don't look the way Jesus does. Ask God right now to reveal those areas and to show you what a step of obedience might be. Do that now.
Maybe there's some areas in your own life. It's easy to look at our culture and blame them and point the finger. Maybe there's some areas in your own life tonight that the Lord wants to reveal in you. It's not what he wants for you. It's not right the way you're living, the way you're acting, what you're doing. Would the Lord be so gracious to show us those things? Not because he's a mean God, but ask him, show me areas where I might not be living rightly. Now ask the Lord to show you areas in your life where you can love kindness. Not just being kind out of obligation, but loving kindness out of worship for how he has loved you, how he has shown you kindness, how while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you and me. The kindness he shows leads us to repentance. So spend a minute or two tonight asking him where are the areas that you might be able to show kindness and represent Jesus and be obedient in those ways and look like Christ in someone else's life. Maybe start to pray for those people tonight. If we're praying consistently for people, it's hard to not show kindness and love them when we're with them face to face. So maybe that God would give you a zeal to start praying for people in your life constantly. So when you are face to face with them, your heart is already changed towards loving them. Start praying for them tonight. And lastly, spend a minute going before your God, the God of the universe who holds all things together and humbling yourself tonight. We talked to him as a good, good father earlier that we are reminded in Romans, we're not given 
the spirit of fear, but we're given the spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father, to the God of the universe for those who are in Christ. And so if you're in Christ tonight, would you humble yourself and spend a minute with your Abba, Father, the God of the universe, and asking for him to reveal areas that you need humility, areas where you have stepped in and said, you wanna be your own God, that he would be gracious to reveal those to you tonight. And that as he so sweetly reveals them, you'd be able to humbly lay them down at the feet of a beautiful, beautiful God. Father, we love you. <clears throat> we love you because you first loved us. Help us to always remember that. Help us to remember how you love us so perfectly, so filled with grace towards us because of Jesus Christ, but also calling us towards obedience. And so would we do that? Would we live lives more and more of obedience, more in line with your will for us? Would you bring conviction to our hearts would you show us areas that we might step into that is your will for our life as your kids? Lord, we take so much encouragement in this truth that we walk humbly with our God, that you are our God who walks alongside us. Father, thank you for that truth. Lord, thank you for these people Thank you for what you're doing in their life and what you will do in their life. Would you continue what you started? That we might look more like you and bring you glory. And would that be the drive of our life? And would that be the question we ask? More than our own details that are important, more than the own logistics of our life that are important, would we ask the question, Lord, how can we look more like you? Would that be the question that's always on the tip of our tongue? How can we be more like you? How can we look like you? How can we glorify you? Drive us in that way, Lord. And with that start from a true place of worship, that we are looking at a God who is truly beautiful and we unapologetically get to say it. And we unapologetically, because of the grace of God, get to come before you and recognize that you are beautiful, you are worth our life, and you are worth our obedience, and it is our joy to lay our lives down and walk humbly with you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
We at Renovate believe in the power of the Word of God to convict and change our lives. It's why we call this ministry Renovate, because we believe that following God and listening to His Word will change your life in radical ways. So if you've been listening along with us for months, or if this is your first time, and you feel like God is wanting to do something in your life, we pray that you would have the courage to follow what He is putting on your heart. But if that doesn't make sense, or you need help figuring out what those next steps are, please reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw, and we would love to help you figure that out. Join us in being a part of God's plan as we try to be obedient to what He wants from us each week. We hope to hear from you soon or see you back here again next week. Take care.